0: I never know where to put those. (laughs) I think the choir heard I was preaching today and uh, decided... uh... Anyway, we're glad to be here and glad you're here. I want to read for you from our text. Our text comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter nine. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'm gonna read the first part and the last part. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity. Since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and to the wicked, To the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of all are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. Go, eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. And then skipping to verse 13. I have also seen this, this example of wisdom under the sun, and it, seems, uh, it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few people in it. A great king came against it and besieged it and built great siege works against it. Now there was was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than might, yet the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one bungler destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Malcolm Mugridge, some of you will remember the name Malcolm Mugridge, a British journalist and satirist, uh, actually became a Christian under the influence of uh, uh, Mother Teresa in India. He had gone there to uh, do some work on her life and on her work. And um, so he became a Christian under her influence. First became Protestant and then after a few years felt that wasn't quite what he wanted and uh, converted to Catholicism. But he he was a Christian person Um, He said this about, uh, or he asked a question, he said, I like very much, if I can read it here, I like very much, he said, um, the answer given by an octogenarian when asked how he accounted for his longevity. And the man said, oh, just bad luck. (laughs) Just bad luck. Is it bad luck? Is longevity bad luck or is it good luck? Is it a blessing or is it a curse? Does it provide us with a way to look at the world in new eyes because we've never done this before at that age? Or is it something that we need to despise? Well, some have calculated that we live probably around 30,000 days. Now, for those of you who are already calculating, that's about 82 years. Um, But we sleep a third of that. So that leaves us about 20,000 days to live, to enjoy life, to see what life is all about, to understand life, and so forth. And that's, what, about 55 years to experience and enjoy life. None of us has very long to live. Uh, In the whole history of time, we are a speck, if that even if we make it to a century mark in our life. Well, today I want to focus our attention on wisdom, but on wisdom specifically as it comes in the context of facing one's death. As people consider their own mortality, they have to face how they will live in the limited amount of time that we are given here. And I want to talk about two aspects of what uh, wisdom brings us uh, as we face our death. But before that, I want to look at two opposites of how people view death. Um, Again, Malcolm Muggeridge is talking about this. He's actually uh, quoting uh, Simone de Beauvoir at her mother's death and she says that her mother's death uh, seemed as violent and unforeseen as an engine stopping in the middle of the sky. And then Muggridge says this in response to that. The image is significant. Death is seen not as the finale of a drama, but as the breakdown of a machine which suddenly and maddingly stops working. Death becomes a monstrous injustice. So that's one view of death. I think uh, Koheleth would agree to some degree. Because what Koheleth says is that the problem with death is that there's no nuance here. Uh, Whether you're righteous or unrighteous, you're going to die. Uh, whether you're good or bad, you're going to die. There's no—I mean, it, it seems to me like he's saying there should be some kind of nuance that the righteous should at least have an easier death than the unrighteous, and somehow move into the next phase of there is no other life from Kohel's point of view, but into the, the next phase easily and gently, as opposed to just like everybody else. So there's no nuance. And the question is, uh, because there's no respecter of persons, is this actually an unjustifiable violation? Now, think about people that you know. Think about your own life. Think about uh, those who have died, our friends, our neighbors, our family. I sometimes think about my mom and dad. Uh, they're laying side by side in graves in the town my sister lives in in North Carolina. And I stand there, uh, or when I, we're back there, and I wonder, okay, where are they? What's happened? Have they simply just dis, uh disappeared and uh, decomposed and that's it or is there something more there and one of the injustices it does seem to me is that they still even though dad was 89 and mom was 94 they still had life to live they still had great grandkids to watch grow up and get married and enjoy life and graduate from college and so forth they still had projects that they could do they still had some life left in them and yet their life was taken they died. They, they gave out. And, you know, whether it's tragic, because many of us have also experienced the loss uh, in a very tragic way of family members and of friends. And that seems like an evil. It seems like Kohalath is really right, that there's something evil about that. It shouldn't happen that way. And yet, sometimes it does so that's one view of death that it's this unjustifiable violation another view of death on the other side it seems to me is that that death is a wisdom teacher That is, if we can face death, if we can look at it, if we can understand some of what happens as a result of death, we can learn how to live more wisely and better in our life today. And that's what Kohelet and uh, Malcolm Muggeridge are both uh, working with as they uh, work with this idea of of death. Um, Muggeridge says this, uh, indeed, sanely regarded Death may be seen as an important factor in making life tolerable. Can we learn something from death? Is there something that will help us make it through life better because we have lived and faced death, someone else's and our own? Now let's suppose that in the Connect card, instead of uh, taking the Connect card and and turning it into the welcome uh, card over here, uh, there is a number on the back of all the welcome cards. And the number is how long you have to live. Would you look at it? First of all, that's the first question I guess. Uh, no, it's not really there. Uh, so <laughs> but, but what if it was uh, one or two, that is one year or two years? Would that be good news for you or not so good news? What if it was 50, 60, 70 years? Would that be good news or not good news? And would knowing how much time you have to live on earth, would that in fact change the way that you live? Change the way that you uh, negotiate life and friends and family and so forth? So if we're going to let death be a wisdom teacher, then we have to say, okay, we'll let it tell us, we'll, we'll let it help us live life today. That's really what Koheleth wants us to do, is to look at death and to say that death doesn't have necessarily uh, all the words of our life, but death can teach us something, or at least we can learn something from facing death. So I suggest to you that what Koheleth is telling us is that there are two things, there are a lot of things in this chapter, but there are two things that death is uh, hoping that we will learn. One is that there is hope in the midst of life, not just hope outside of life, after life, but hope in the midst of our life. And the second is the other part of that, that there is joy uh, and enjoyment uh, in the fullness of life. That, That joy, in fact, is the fulfillment of the expectation that hope brings us. And so in those two things, we learn something about how to live. Hope, or this is sometimes translated certainty, And the interesting thing is, what is the certainty that one has when one faces death? Well, the certainty of of one who is alive, the certainty is that they're going to die. Well, that doesn't seem like uh, good certainty, if you can put it in that sense. But what it does do is it reminds us that there is a limited amount of time in which we all have to to make um, our life count, to make our life matter. Whether that is a short amount of time or a long amount of time, we don't know. God knows, we don't know. And um, it's in the living of that that uh, we can have hope. I think what he's really saying here is that hope comes in the context of a community that hopes together. Because this whole chapter seems to be about entering into community in a new and a vibrant way. It's not hope for the distant future, it's hope for the present time. I think uh, most philosophers, uh, pastors, uh, psychologists, now here I'm going to make a huge generalization, think that um, when we face our death, we can be freer from it and live more fully in in the present time. If we don't face our death, then we may never get there. I have a book, some of you have probably read it also, it's called, the I think it's called The Meaning of Existence or something like that, and it's about Freud and Lewis. It's really an interesting, and it's also a, um, a video, a video, for those of you who didn't know, know that is that is something you put in the machine and you can see it on the screen. <laughs> um, but it's not live streaming or anything. So. So it contrasts the two, and it really shows um, how Freud was kind of preoccupied with death and never really uh, resolved it. it. It seemed like it, was, it created anxiety for him throughout his life. Whereas Lewis, as he faced not only Joy Davidman's death, but also his own, there was a bit more tranquility uh, that he brought to it. I remember hearing a, a talk by a young life staff member who was working in a really rough part of a particular city. And one night, unprovoked, uh, he was beaten almost to death. And I remember him talking about it. He, his eye, uh, he couldn't see out of his eye, and he couldn't walk well afterwards. And he said, you know... Uh, that experience, facing his death like that, not planned, but nonetheless facing it, he said that uh, he no longer feared death. In that sense, he no longer feared death because he knew that if he died, um, it would be okay. Um, not that it was first choice, but that he could go then and live with the Lord. But he was not afraid of death. When we face our death, it seems to me that we then are uh, free to some degree from it and have a greater ability to live in uh, the hope that uh, Kohelet wants us to live in. Uh, one of the interesting things in this particular text, it's always intrigued me, I once preached a sermon on it for Thanksgiving, a, lo- a living dog is better than a dead lion. What in the world uh, do we have here? Uh, By the way, yesterday, Janie and I had the unbelievable privilege um, of going to our neighbor's dog's first birthday. Uh, No, it's true. I swear. Where's my Bible? I swear. I've never been to a dog's first birthday. And I don't know, I don't think they're counting... In a dog's life, I think it's actually a human life. Um, so we went to this birthday party uh, out in the park for the dog. Um, and there were a number of dogs that had been invited to come and participate. And it seemed to me that they were all having a lot of fun, although I didn't see any of them smiling. They, they were having a lot of fun running, chasing uh, each other, chasing balls, and so forth. That would never have happened in Kohella's time. Uh, dogs were closer to pigs. Dogs were not, they, they were, they were uh, dirty animals, considered dirty animals. Uh, listen to this just a minute. The dog, by contrast, uh, William Brown says, was typically associated with filth and even death in uh, ancient Near Eastern culture. Dog was frequently a term of contempt in biblical tradition. And remain so, he says even today, like a dog that returns to its vomit, this is from Proverbs, is a fool who reverts to his folly. So the dog and the lion are symbolic, obviously, in this particular text. The lion and the dog are emblematic of opposing reputations. Intelligence for the lion, folly for the dog, might weakness, majesty, lowliness. According to the sages of convention, reputation is the individual's lasting legacy for future generations. It is the immortalized self. But for Kohelet, the groveling dog holds an absolute advantage over the lion's carcass. Life cannot be lived for the sake of the future. A dog at least receives the crumbs that fall from heaven. So a living dog that knows it's alive is better than a dead lion, a carcass of a thing that it will soon decompose and be part of the earth again. So the first thing that Koheleth is telling us is that if we will let death be a wisdom teacher It will tell us something about hope, hope now, hope in this life, in the community of this life, knowing that there is an end. It will help uh, raise our understanding of how we are to live, how we should live, how we want to live, and that hope can be fulfilled. Because we're alive, only because we're alive, that hope can be fulfilled. The second thing that Koheleth wants us to understand as a wisdom, if death is a wisdom teacher, is that the other side of that coin is equally important. That enjoyment of life, the joy that comes from uh, the fullness of life, um, is the fulfillment of the hope that was the expectation. So now we have the fulfillment in joy. And by the way, Koheleth says, go uh, basically eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, enjoy yourself, enjoy your, your uh, family and friends and others. And he talks about, um, Kohelet talks about death as a teacher to tell us about the good life. That not all is death, not all is lost uh, necessarily. As long as you are alive you are able to fulfill and meet those expectations. I think Rudolf Bultmann would call this authentic existence. This is really what you want to do. You want to live in the moment, in the present, uh, at this particular time. So enjoy the days you have. Eat with enjoyment, drink with a merry heart, because God, a long time ago, has already approved what you do. Now that's another very difficult text. God has already approved of what we do. And I think what it means is it doesn't mean that God approves of our self-indulgence. Remember the the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man who had uh, more crops than he knew what to do with, and so he said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And uh, then I will eat and I will drink and be merry and everything will be fine. And God in the parable says, fool, you don't know that tonight uh, your life is going to be asked from you. So it's not talking about self-indulgence. It's talking about the gifts of God, the gifts of God that come to all people, and enjoying and reflecting on the gifts of God in the context of community. I think that's really what the, uh, the second part of this is, the enjoyment of life. It's authentic existence in the community that God has called us into. Okay, so hope is the expectation. Uh, Joy is the fulfillment of the expectation. Neither is self-indulgent. Okay, so let me then make a few closing comments. First of all, Kohelet seems to believe that death is the final chapter in anyone's life. When you juxtapose this with the New Testament, you realize that there is more that needs to be said. Because in death, as the final statement of one's earthly life, the New Testament tells us that it has been conquered in Jesus Christ. There is the death of death in Jesus Christ's resurrection. So that, so that death is not the final word. Kohelet's words is not, is not the final word on what might happen to a person uh, in their life and in their death. What this belief does is to broaden the hope of what might come to us in our earthly life and what might come to us in our post-earthly life. Our hope is not only in this world. Kohelet, I think, would say our hope is in this world. And I think that's a really good news to hear. But it's not only there. Some would say that when we are born, we begin to decay and die. So that we're always in this process of growing and decaying and dying all through our life. Listen to what uh, Bob Munger said at a funeral. We had a mutual friend. Uh, he was a friend of the family. We were a friend of the, of the woman that, that passed away uh, in a small group with them. And so Bob Munger was a friend, came and did the funeral service. He said, he said this. Life begins with us running with arms wide open to the culmination of our life to be with the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful image? It's not just that as we have been born and are growing, we also are decaying and dying. It's that now we're running from the very beginning of our life. We're running towards the culmination of our life to be with the Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said when he was being taken to his uh, execution, he said to the two guards, for for you, this is uh, an ending. He's speaking of death here. For me, it's a beginning. It's a beginning. So that there is something hopeful that we can learn about facing death, not only in this life, but for the life to come as well. And so I would call this a deeper hope. Kohelet has a hope, but our New Testament and the death of death in Jesus' resurrection tells us that there is a deeper hope. Secondly, there is a broader banquet. I think what happens in the the idea of hope uh, being expectation and joy being the fulfillment of that expectation is that that is all in the context of community and it's often in the context of banquets. Eat, drink, be merry. Uh, this, is, this is food. This is uh, gathering together around a table. And that is a great hope. That's one of the blessings we have of being uh, in this life together. But it hearkens um, to something even beyond it. It can be illustrative of the great banquet that is going to come at the end of time. And what happens then is that this broader banquet, this, this bigger banquet, is really uh, what God is preparing for all people to come into his presence. So when we're walking with expectation toward the culmination of our life, or running, as Munger would say, we are doing so to come to this banquet table that is uh, shared before us. It's going to be a great banquet. And uh, we will sit and eat with one another. And with the Lord at that banquet. So there is in fact a deeper hope. There's a broader banquet. There's also a grander equalism. Or uh, equalization. I don't know how best to say that. One of the things that bothers Kohelet is that everybody ends up the same. Everybody dies. Everybody is going to be dead. It doesn't matter how good you were, it doesn't matter how bad you are, everybody has the same fate. And that feels like an, like a, a, an evil to Kohelet. On the other hand, does that not tell us something about uh, the equality of all people? That everybody is on the same playing field? And that God is also looking at people in that same way. That there is an equalness about God's care for people. So that in Matthew, in Matthew 5, we're told that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. God sends the sun on the, on, on the righteous and the, and the wicked. There is something here about death that equalizes everybody. And maybe the flip side of that is that the equalizing of that is not only in death, but also in love. Can we have eyes to see everybody the same? That is, everybody deserves God's love, everybody deserves honor, everybody deserves dignity. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. God sees you, and God will send the sun and the rain upon you because that's God's good gift, free gift. And God will send God's salvation to you as well. So there is this grand equalizer uh, that death participates in. So what do we have? We have death. If we are willing death can become for us a teacher of wisdom. A teacher of wisdom that helps us hope in the present time and on the flip side, see that hope realized in the joy that we have of gathering in community around the table. So with that in mind, we also then take the next step. And we see that, that in our life, in our faith, in our understanding, there is even a deeper hope. There is, in fact, a broader banquet, and there is, in fact, a grander equalizing of all people in God's love. So, we gather with hope realized and joy fulfilled at the glorious, expected, and soon-to-be-fulfilled heavenly banquet. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. Um, We're thankful for the hope that it brings to us, the joy that we can experience because of it, because of you, and because of your depth of grace and love to each one of us. Guide us as we live out the hope that we have in Christ, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.